today we are looking at the next um, story in A Blazing Grace. And for those who are new, what we're doing, we're having a 12-month-long preaching series that is taking us from the beginning of the Old Testament right through to the Messiah. And so we're taking 12 months right through the Old Testament. And today, we're up to the story of, of Hagar and Ishmael. Now, I just want to firstly just share why this is important, this story, in relation to what we're celebrating this weekend, which is Easter. And to help do this, I want to bring your attention to a verse on the screen, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. And it says, For by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. And it is, this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. And what this is telling us is that salvation is not about what we do, but it's about what God does. And it's about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. However, this also reveals to us that there is one little five-letter word that stands between us and taking hold of all of the, the Easter promises, all of the, the blessings that come from a, as a result of what Jesus has done on the cross. And can you see what that five-letter word is? Faith. Faith is what stands between us and taking hold of everything that God wants to do in our life. And quite providentially, our story of Hagar and Ishmael is dealing with that exact theme, and that is the theme of faith. Have you ever noticed that God often makes us wait? Have you experienced that in your own life? God has all these promises for you, all these blessings He wants to do in your life, but they sometimes seem to take a long time in actually getting around to you. Sometimes you think, man, is God just too busy or what's, what's happening? On the screen there, you see one of my best mates. His name's Ben and myself. And in my final year of college, we got to um, go to the Solomon Islands. And what they did, they sent out, I think it was eight or ten theology students with the task of going out and preaching in, various, in, in groups of two in various islands around the Solomon Islands. And so... We got on this on a plane, went over there on the boat. We arrived at a, you know, on an island called Malaita and to a little um, town called Alki. Now, if you look on the screen, that's a picture I took at Alki, and it's, it's a fairly authentic-looking island sort of place, I think. And we get there, and we go, and first thing we do, we go and look at the place where we're going to be, preach- where we're going to be preaching. And what it is, there's this big field and this sort of rickety... Um, stage that's, that's up there on the side of the field, and we're going to be standing up there and preaching for the next two months. And this, there we see the first episode, the first, um, one of the first um, preaching messages that we did. Now, something that I quickly learned from being on this trip was that there are some huge differences between my friend Ben and myself. When I prepare a sermon, and this happened like every single day that I was there in, in the Solomon Islands, when I prepare a sermon, it goes right up to the very last minute. And I think I told you the other day that I was up here preaching, and I started off by saying that during the worship songs, I was in the back room in the church, in the pastor's office, learning my sermon. And for some reason, it doesn't matter when I begin, it always takes me right up to the moment, basically, when I go to preach it. And so we were there day after day, and my friend Ben would, would and the way that we had it, I had like five sermons in a row, and then Ben had the next five. So I had the first, I did the opening section, and every single day, Ben would be watching me just furiously going right up until about a quarter past six, and then we were meant to start the program at half past six. And so we'd, we'd, I'd be like, finished, we'd throw on our, our clothes, and, 
and race down and would begin the, begin the program. And day after day after that day, this happened. And I remember Ben said this to me one of the days. He said, Jared, this is really becoming a bit of a habit for you. And I was like, yeah, uh, he, he was right. It was becoming a habit, and it still is a bit of a bad habit. And so there I was furiously um, working on my sermons, and Ben always had this kind of a look in his face, this kind of smug, like, prepared look. And it would just, like, irritate me, because I'm just, like, not like that when it's leading up to a, to a sermon. And so Ben, so I, I go through, and we get night one, two, three, four, five, and then it comes time for Ben to have his series of five. And that went over the weekend, which means you have to be pretty prepared, because it's, Saturday, it's Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night, and then Sunday Sunday night, and then I think he had Monday as well. And I remember it got to about lunchtime on Friday, and Ben was working his sermons, and it didn't start till 6.30 that night, and he stops at lunchtime on Friday, and he says, finished. And he looked at me, and by that I knew he meant that not only Friday's sermon was finished, but Saturday's sermon was finished, and Sunday and Monday, and for the next five sermons, he was just absolutely prepared. And I was just like, and he had that look on his face as well, and I was like, oh, Ben... But then, at about 12.30, suddenly Ben looked like this. And this is Ben's stress look, okay? When Ben has this look, you can't, I don't know how we can see it. Suddenly you realize that Ben's in a bit of a stressed sort of mood. And he, and he suddenly looks at me and he goes, Jared, we need to pray. And that, that's never a good thing when someone goes from confidence to, we need to stop and pray right now. So what happened? And he looks at me in this sort of like, absolute stress and worry in his eyes, and he says, my hard drive just crashed. And so Ben went from having, having five sermons, beautiful PowerPoints, everything he needed, to having zero sermons. And so panic kicked in, and we prayed and said, God, please, and, and at this stage, we're feeling pretty confident, God always gets us through these sort of situations, and so um, we're praying and we're, and we're trusting that God is going to get us through. And so we go on the, the hunt for fixing this, this computer. Now, the problem when you're in a place like Alki, on a little random spot on a random island in the Solomon Islands, is that you can't just go down to a computer guy and get something fixed. In fact, there is no computer shop in Alki at all. And, but luckily, Ben is used to work in IT. So he kind of had an idea of what we needed. and he, We needed this very specific um, cord that could... We could pull out the hard drive, attach it to it, and then plug it into another computer and hopefully, fingers crossed, get those, um, those sermons off there. And so we went around and the pastor took us from, to one person who was sort of good at computers and then they took us to another friend, to another place. Eventually we end up in, in, at the courthouse, not because we'd done anything wrong, but there was a person in there who they thought might have the, the piece that we're looking for. And we get there and he pulls out this cord, which was the exact cord that we needed. And we were like, praise God, God is going to get us through for this sermon, which is soon approaching at 6.30 tonight. So we go back to, the, to our house where we were preparing the sermons, and we plug it in, and like, we're just sort of praying, and, and that, that God will help this to work. And we, we go to, so hope, hopefully it's going to read the hard drive, and nothing. It's just like, it's like it's thinking, but it never actually arrives at what we're hoping, hoping to achieve. And so we tried again and again and again. We tried something different. And we were working on this for probably two hours until we eventually get this hard drive to be read on the computer. And so then we, we, we grab all of the, the sermons that we need. We click transfer. 
and the little bar goes across and it gets to about halfway, and then it stops. And we're like, why are you stopped? And then, so eventually, so we cancel it, we try again. And this time we think, all right, let's just get tonight's sermon. So we get that um, transfer, goes about halfway and it stops. Halfway and it stops. And eventually we're looking at, at our watches and we're like, man, this is, like, by this stage it was probably, it was probably about five o'clock or something and we have an hour and a half until we meant to start preaching. So we thought, let's just leave it and see what happens. And so it comes about halfway and then it stops and literally it was like 15 or 20 minutes for every little like, dit, 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 as it goes across. Until eventually, we get stuck here. Okay? If you can see that, I, I, I documented the whole thing because I thought it was quite, it might make a good sermon illustration one day. Because at this stage, Ben's stressed. I'm not stressed because I'm not preaching. So I probably had the smug look on my face. As you see, 1.4 megabytes left. And seri- literally, we probably sh- just sat there and stared at this screen for about half an hour with no idea whether this was actually going to finish or whether it was just going to, I don't know, what was going to happen. And, and we're looking at our watch, and as we get closer and closer, we're thinking, we're getting closer and closer to a disaster where we have a large amount of people showing up, and Ben is sort of having to make it up as he goes. Now let me show you, I took a picture of the clock when it eventually clicked over. Can you see that? We'll go a little bit closer. So we're there for about half an hour. Remember, the program starts at 6.30, and then it gets to 6.27, and suddenly, we have our PowerPoint. And so we just, like, we just, like, grab everything, and we race down there, and the program's already, like, just about to get underway, and God came through for us, not two hours early, not six hours early, but three minutes early. So lucky it wasn't 6.30, I suppose. And that is kind of like what we see take place with our story with Hagar and Ishmael. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 1. It says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So here we encountered a frustrated Sarai, who was later become Sarah. And she's been struggling with having children for a long time now. And it gets to the point where she comes up with this brilliant idea. Abraham, I've got this young Egyptian um, slave girl, the servant, and since I can't have children, maybe you can just take her as your wife, and I can have children through her. Now, this was something that was somewhat more acceptable in the time of when they lived, but in God's eye, this was clearly something that went against God's, God's will. But the question is, what brought Sarah to a point where she was willing to do this sort of thing, and even Abraham, the great man of faith, was willing to to do something like this. And it all starts back in chapter 11 and verse 30. Now in chapter 11, and remember back when I talked about in um, Genesis 3, we saw this promise that a descendant of Eve's 
was going to bring about a solution to the problem of sin. And throughout Genesis, we see all these genealogies, and it goes through, this person gave birth to this person, gave birth to this person, and it goes all the way through. And the reason there's so much focus is on, on there is that a descendant is going to come who's going to bring about the deliverance of the world, which is what we celebrate in Easter, that Jesus came and did that. And it goes through until you get to Sarai, and it says, now Sarai was barren, she had no children. So here we encounter the problem. Just like my friend um, Ben, his problem was his hard drive crashed. Here we see Sarah is unable to have children. But God comes through with a promise. And God comes and, and shows up to Abraham and says, and it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So here we see Sarai is unable to have children, but God shows up to Abraham with a promise. And that promise is that you would be the father of a nation. And through that, and through the descendants of that nation, all the world is going to be blessed. Now there's something implied in this promise. Can you work out what it is? What does this mean for Sarai? If Abraham's going to be a father of a nation, this means that God is going to allow Sarai to have a child through which this nation would come about. However, did you notice how old Abram was at this point? 75 years old. And Sarah was about 10 years younger. And so I can imagine Abram thinking, all right, now we're pretty old, but God's in this. We'll get through this. All things, all things are possible. Now God continues to come back to Abraham and, and reconfirm this promise. We get to verse 7, when Abram had followed the call, he went to Canaan. And we get to verse 7, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Again, you can't have that promise fulfilled without an offspring. Then there's a situation where they go down to Egypt and eventually they come back. And then the Lord said to Abram, after Lord had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. Look in every direction. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Who's it giving it to? Your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Now, if you had the job of counting the dust of the earth, how successful would you be? You, it's not even possible to even begin counting the dust because it's so small. And God is making the point here that, that your nation is going to be so numerous that it's not even going to be able to be counted. And here we see God continually confirming, you're going to have descendants, you're going to have an offspring, um, and you, your descendants will be numerous so that they are unable to be counted. Again, chapter 15, God comes again to Abraham. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. 
what's happening here in the thinking of Abraham? God is coming to him and saying, I've got this promise for you. I've got this promise for you. I've got this promise for you. And as time goes on, as the delay happens, as he's waiting and waiting and waiting, his, his faith starts to get a little bit shaky. But God wants to really impress upon him just the strength of this promise that he has. And he says, And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, came to him This man shall not be your heir. And he brought him outside. So you can imagine they probably went out of the tent. And, and God said, look towards heaven. So look up at the sky, and I'm sure many of you have done this at, at night. And he says, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to count them, which you can't. I've tried counting stars before. Pretty soon you think you've got a little section, but then your eyes adjust and you realize that between all those stars that you've counted, there's another multitude of stars between them. And he says, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And how does Abram, Abram respond to this? It says, and he believed the Lord, and, it, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And we discussed this last week, and this is really the essence of faith. God shows up and says, I have a promise for you. This, 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 this is going to happen. I'm going to do this, 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 this. And our job is to simply, like Abraham, believe. So let's go back to our story in Genesis chapter 16. And we'll go to verse 3. So, so Sarai has this great idea. I've got um, um, Hagar. T- take her as your wife. And through Hagar, we'll have, you can, I'll have a child. And, and, and then God's promises will be able to be filled through, through this act. Verse 3. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. How long had they waited for this promise up to this point? Ten years. Now, I know when I had to wait about four hours to wait for God to come in and to get this whole computer problem fixed up, when I was waiting for those four hours, my faith started to be tested towards the end of that. But here we see God makes Sarah and Abraham wait for 10 years. And so this thing that, this idea that Sarah came up with about with Hagar and, and giving Hagar to Abraham, it wasn't just a, a, a straightaway lapse of faith, but rather here we have the faithful couple as time goes through, and, as the, and it gets, it's getting more and more like, unlikely that Sarai will be able to have children, their faith begins to fracture. And we see that Sarai starts feeling increasingly inadequate. And the pressures, imagine the pressure of that, of knowing that this baby that you're going to have is going to bring about the, the blessing for the whole world, bring about salvation from sin, and yet you're unable to have that child. And so she's feeling inadequate. And... And God just says, wait, wait, wait. Now this reveals to me that God often gives us delays because delays reveal the true nature and extent of our faith. Would you agree with that? Now, did they look really faithful at the beginning? Absolutely. But as the years go on, we see that the boundaries of the edges of their faith are being pushed, 
and and God is is revealing to to them that their faith, while it is there, is not necessarily as big as it potentially could be. Now, Sarai's faith here is that's being um, pushed, and, and, and the faith that she's losing is not just only in the power of God, but it's also she's losing faith in the character of God. Now, how do we know this? Go down to verse um, 16 and verse 2. It says, And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Who's the cause of this barrenness that she has? It's God. Now, there's a lot of parallels here between this and the story of Adam and Eve, right back at the beginning. We start this whole blaming game that goes on. But here we see that in her mind, she's, she sees a God that's promising all these good things, while at the same time, withholding them. That's a bit of a twisted picture of what God is like. And we know that God is not, is not um, like that. So as a result of this, she steps out presumptuously and disobediently, and she tries to force about a result that God had already promised to, to give them. Now, the result of this lack of faith um, is shown in the, in the, in the passages as it follows in, in, the, in this story. Um, we see that Sarah and Hagar get are jealous of each other, and there's anger, and there's mistreatment, and, and the whole sort of family unity and the family peace quickly starts to fall apart. So what we see here is that God has given, gave them incredible promises, but they had to receive them in faith. And in the same way, God has given us incredible promises, and we are to receive them with faith. Now, let's sort of reflect on a few of the promises that God has given us. The Easter promises, okay? On the screen it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Is that a pretty fantastic promise? Amen. Isaiah 1 says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. He will wipe every tear, away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Pretty incredible promises that we've been given. And at Easter time, we celebrate the, these promises because these things we receive as a result of what Jesus has done for us upon the cross. But the question is, do we really believe these promises? Or maybe another way of looking at it would be, what would happen in our lives if we truly believed and truly had faith in the promises that God had given us? Now in James chapter 1, we see another promise that, another promise that um, God has given us. And it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Is that a good promise? Now, this is a great promise when you get in situations like myself and Ben were in the Solomon Islands. Hard drive has crashed, and crisis has taken place, and we don't know what to do. God promises that if we ask for wisdom, that he'll give it to us. But what role does faith, what role does believing play in receiving those promises? It goes on to say, But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. 
He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What's the result of approaching God's promises without faith? It's useless. It says that we become unstable in all of our ways. And when we go through the story of Hagar and Ishmael and the, and the family of Abraham, the, the fact that they had stopped believing the promises of God brought about a great instability into their life. So the first um, thing we want to learn about faith is that faith is a key. Okay, and what do you think that key unlocks? Faith is a key that unlocks the promises of God. So as, as the story goes on, um, Hagar is taken as a wife and a child is, is born. And we see this at the end of chapter 16. But one of the things I noticed as I was studying this um, this week is that after Abram does this act of faithlessness, God doesn't come up and rebuke him. Have you ever noticed that? Not immediately anyway. Because if you look at chapter 16, let's go to the last two verses of chapter 16. It says, And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was how old? 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. And then the first verse of chapter 17 says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. So for 14 years, Abram doesn't get another word from God. Now, what do you think he might have been thinking by God's silence here? Maybe his actions were approved by God, potentially. And so I, just, I sort of read this and I just imagine little Ishmael growing up and Abraham and Sarai and Hagar believing that, that upon this child, the blessing of the world is going to come, come through. And I can imagine Abram sitting down with Ishmael and talking about the promises, taking Ishmael outside and pointing up to the stars and going, Ishmael, you see the stars of the sky. God has promised that through you, all the, you'll have descendants like the stars of the sky. And look at, this, look at the dust of the ground. Ishmael, your descendants are going to be like, like this. God is going to bless you. You're, the hopes of the world are upon you and your descendants. Until God shows up once again in chapter 17. So let's go to chapter, uh, where are we, chapter 17. 25 years later, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, an old man now, and the Lord appeared, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between you, me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. So here again, you remember all the way through, Ab- God keeps coming to Abram. I've got this covenant blessing, this blessing for you, this blessing for you, this blessing for you. And again, he comes and he repeats the blessing. And Abram, he sees God and he falls down on his face in reverence before God. Now when he hears God says this, what do you think is in his mind? Who's going to be the person through this which this blessing is going to be. It's going to be Ishmael. And so God, uh, Abram is there thinking, thinking this, he's, he's hearing God's words through, the, through his Ishmael thinking. And it goes on to say, And God said to him, verse 4, 
Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but you shall be Abraham, for I have made the fa- you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Do you think God is becoming almost a bit repetitive here? You're going to have nations come from you, nations come from you, nations come from you. And Abraham's thinking, you've told me this so many times, and I've got Ishmael here ready for it. Until we get down to verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Now suddenly, Abram's Abraham's whole thinking is turned upside down at this point. He's thinking, Ishmael, Ishmael, and suddenly God redirects his attention back to his, his, old, his wife, who's getting very old now, almost 100 years old, and says, through her, I will bring about this promise. And what does Abraham do in response to this? In verse 18, it says, And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Um, sorry, verse 17. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to, my, to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? So here we see um, Abraham gets to the point where he's like, All right, God. It was a bit of a stretch when Sarai was 75. Now, when she got to, I mean, when she was 65, when she got to 75, we started realizing this is getting a bit impractical, and we thought we should step in and help you, help you out, God, with Ishmael. God, now she is 90 years old. And this time, instead of Abraham falling on his face in reverence, he falls on his face in laughter. And he laughs at God, and he says, God shall someone who is a hundred and with a wife who is ninety give birth to a child. God, this is impossible. This can't take place. And what we see is that faith is a joke. Or is it? Have you ever noticed that some of the things that God asked his people to do often seem like a joke? Think of, of Noah. God comes up and says, Noah, I have a task for you. I want you to build this giant boat. I'm going to send this flood that's going to flood the entire world. And I'm going to bring all these animals who are going to go into this ark. And you're going to sail up on this, this little, um, on top of the water. And, and you're going to bring deliverance for your family. That kind of sounds a bit like a joke. Until Noah realizes that God is being serious. You think of, um, of Moses. God comes to, to Moses with a burning bush and says, Now all of my people that are slaves, slaves to Pharaoh, I want you to go before the most powerful person in the whole world at this point, and I want you to ask him to let all of my people go. It's kind of funny, isn't it? That God would ask someone to do such a ridiculously sounding thing. Think of Gideon. Gideon is, is threshing the, the wheat in the wine press because he's afraid, and the Midianites are surrounding, and they're, they're raiding the lands, and they're bringing all sorts of terror upon them. And, and God shows up to Gideon and says, Gideon, while he's there cowering away in the, in the wine press, says, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. 
and you are going to go and you are going to fight these armies and bring deliverance for my people. And Gideon could have, would have been tempted to think, God, you're, what do you think? This is kind of a, is this a joke? We think of Mary, and we're talking about this this morning, um, at the start of the book of Luke, and God shows up to Mary and says, um, Mary, you're going to give birth to God. Sounds almost like, it's almost funny, isn't it? Sounds like almost a joke, except it happened. Think of Paul, who we're talking about with Acts. Paul is there on his way to Damascus with letters in his hands to go and round up all of those, the Christians there, and bring them back. And at that time, God goes to Ananias and says, I want you to go to this person and tell him that he is a chosen instrument of mine and he is going to be the person who's going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Faith is a joke. Or is it? And here we see that Abraham falls on his face and he's laughing at God. And then God reveals to him that um, it's not a joke. Verse, make sure we get the verse right this time. Um, Verse 19. God said, so Abraham's laughing and saying, take Ishmael, this can't happen, God. And God says, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall hear you, or shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after you. And you can imagine, just like my friend Ben's face change from confidence to, to like stress, you can imagine Abraham's face here going from laughter, what are you talking about, God? To suddenly, he's serious. God is serious about this promise that he's been telling me so many times. And even though I'm 100, God is serious. And how does, God, how does Abraham then respond to this? He simply believes. And how do we know that he believes? Well, just prior to that, God had said, the sign of this covenant that I'm going to make with you is going to be circumcision. And when we get to verse 22, it says, When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house or, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Here we see a person who 25 years after the promise was first given, and after a journey that has included a large amount of doubt, says, you know what, God? I still believe you, and I'm still going to follow what you have said, because I believe that you will fulfill your covenant. And then God shows up to Abraham again and tells him basically the same thing again. I'm going to make this covenant with you, Abraham. See, I think this is fairly important. If If it says it about eight times, obviously it must be fairly important. And this time, God shows up with, in the form of a man and two other um, angels who are also men. There's these three men who's really God and these two angels who come to, come to Abraham to deliver a message to him. And Sarah is off in the tent, but she can listen in. And this is what they say to, to Abraham, verse 9 of chapter 18. They said to him, where is Sarah your wife? And he said, she's, she's back in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. 
and Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. It's kind of interesting that Abraham didn't tell Sarah about the previous promise, okay, that Ishmael wasn't the one. Maybe he didn't want to get her hopes up again. Not sure. But here we see this Sarah who's in the tent, who's listening, listening in. It's like, hang on, what's, what's all this about? And we're at, we're at verse, verse 9. They said to him, oh, verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of w- women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Faith is a joke. Okay, well, at least Sarah thinks it's a joke at this stage. And she's back in her tent. She's laughing away. I've heard this story for 25 years. Nothing has come from it. And maybe there's people here who when people share God's promises with you, you think, come on, I've heard that promise before. In fact, I've heard that all my life. And when I look back at my life, God's promises have not worked out exactly how I've thought they're going to be. And here again, Sarah hears this promise and she laughs. I think, this promise is no more than a joke now. And God says, and then God says, verse 13, The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now, now that I'm old? And here's the key words here. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And this is a key verse in this story. And... It shows us the third point about faith that I want to share with you today. And that is, faith is a conviction that nothing is too hard for God. Because faith will take us to places where we are in situations and we're against challenges, where we look forward and we, and we think of what God has told us is going to happen, and we think there is no way in the world that this is going to take place. Faith will take us to the edges of what we think is possible, and then beyond that, And so faith is a conviction that nothing is too hard for God. Now, go across to chapter 21, and we're going to see the end of this part of of the story. So Genesis chapter 21. We're just going to read the first two verses. It says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken. Praise God that he answers his promises. Praise God that he is faithful, even though there is often a delay. And it shows me that faith not only is a key, a joke, a conviction, but faith is also a marathon. Now, I've ran half a marathon, but I haven't ran a full marathon before. But there's a difference between a marathon and a leap, isn't there? Okay. And often we talk about a leap of faith. We need to take a leap of faith. And a lot of people think that the Christian journey, the Christian experience involves a leap of faith. And that is, we hear the good news about Jesus. We understand it. We hear from someone um, share the gospel with us. And we think, all right, I need to take a leap of faith and accept Jesus as my Savior. But the Christian experience does not require a leap of faith. The Christian experience requires a marathon of faith. The first step is a step of faith. 
The second step is the step of faith. And then when you've been at it for 10 years, the next step is a step of faith. And if you're faithful today, you're going to wake up the next, tomorrow morning and the challenges that are before you are going to be challenges that require faith. And here we see that the faith that was required of Abraham and Sarah was not a leap of faith, but it was 25 long years of faith. But at the end, God was faithful. And the last thing I want to share with you about faith is that faith is a tree. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's turn to our um, second last passage we're going to look at today. And that is Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, and turn your, it's not on the screen, it's in, so if you've got your Bibles, turn there. Matthew 17, verse 14. And here we see the disciples going through a similar experience to what, um, a similar experience to Abraham and Sarah. They go through a moment where they have a lack of faith. And so Matthew 17, verse 14, it says, And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Okay, so here we see this person, he's, this, this, person this, this son, he's really, he's, he's, he's worried for him. And he's wanting God's help. And he takes in the disciples. And the disciples exercise their faith. But it's revealed that it's a lack of faith. And they're unable to, to help. And Jesus answers and says, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. In other words, Jesus looks at the disciples and says, You guys are faithless. Where is your faith? It says, And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. What is Jesus saying about the faith of the disciples? Firstly, he's implying that their faith isn't even the size of a mustard seed. Okay, he says, if your faith was as now a mustard seed was the smallest seed that they, they were familiar with, if your faith was even that big, you could speak to the mountains and they'd be cast into the sea. So, firstly, he's saying he's revealing to us that the faith of the disciples was was pretty small at this this point in their journey. The second thing that he is revealing to us is that faith begins as a seed. Okay? Faith doesn't begin, we don't begin with this giant faith, with giant faith like people like Elijah, where he goes up on Mount Carmel and he, and, he, and he prays and fire comes down from heaven. The marathon of faith usually doesn't begin like that. It starts as a small mustard seed. But our faith then grows. And as we go through the challenges of life, as we have experienced delays, as we have situations like when I was in the Solomon Islands, and, and, and the hard drive crashes, when we have all sorts of times in our life when, when, when it doesn't seem to be working out like we think it should be, when God calls us to do things that seem impossible, that seem beyond our abilities, through all those things, our faith grows. Sometimes we're successful in those challenges. Sometimes we fall short of those challenges. But all the while, our faith is growing. And faith, 
a tree of faith is a work of, of a lifetime. And, and the aim for us is to have a faith that is growing and being committed to the process where our faith is becoming to, like the faith that, um, Eli- that sorry, Abraham eventually, eventually had. Now, Abraham finished his life not with a little incy bit of faith, but we see that by the end of Abraham's life, his faith was a giant, a giant tree of faith. Now, we're going to be talking more about this, the final part of his story in three weeks' time, but I just want to read this passage in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it, would, whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offering be named. And this is referring to the story which takes place next in the story of, of Abraham, where God comes up and says, all right, this son that you've waited 25 years for, I want you to take him, and I want you to take him up to the top of a mountain, and I want you to sacrifice the son through whom I have promised all these blessings to come. Now, would that have sounded like a joke? It would have sounded pretty wild. But Abraham, at this point in his life, he says, you know what, God? I believe in your promises. And it says, through Isaac shall your offering be named. And then it says, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So I picture Abraham up there with the knife, killing the one through whom God said, over and over and over again, through Isaac shall be a nation, through Isaac shall be descendants like the dust, through Isaac shall be um, descendants like the stars of heaven. And Abraham is there about to kill his son, thinking, I have no idea how this is going to work out. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Maybe God will just have to raise him from the dead. And we see that by the end of Abraham's marathon of faith, his faith was no longer a little mustard seed, but it was a gigantic tree. So again, I want you to take your mind back to the promises of Easter and the promises of forgiveness, the promises of freedom from past guilt, the promises of a new life today, the promise of eternal life in the future. And remember that faith is the key to unlocking all of those promises. But not just a superficial faith, not just a surface level faith, but a deep, real, biblical faith. And also I want you to remember that in your life you're going to face situations where God calls you to things and you look at those things that God has called you to and you think, you might have a chuckle to yourself and think, come on, God, is that really for me? Am I really going to be able to do those things? In fact, it seems impossible. But realize that that's a consistent thing that God does, and he's done that all the way throughout biblical history and in our own experiences as well. Third thing, remember that faith is conviction that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That there is not anything that is impossible. If God calls us to it, God empowers us to achieve that. It's not about our ability, but it's not about our availability. God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. And so faith is a conviction that, we can do, that nothing is too great for God. Remember that faith is a marathon. That if you've lived a life of faith up until this day, tomorrow, when you get up out of bed, you're going to have to realize that tomorrow is going to be a, a step of faith as well. We don't ar- arrive at the end of our faith journey and then live our 
last 20 years of our life without faith because we've already lived faith. But every single day, God is going to give us increasing challenges that will stretch and improve and grow our faith. And finally, faith is a tree. And, and saving faith is a faith that is growing. And it doesn't matter where you are from a mustard seed to a tree. Faith, God, God that faith is, is saving faith. And God has a plan to grow in us the sort of faith that Abraham has. And if we commit to the process, by the end of it, by God's grace, we may have a faith that will stand no matter what trials come before us. Let's, let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for the examples left to us by um, the great men and women of faith of the past. And Lord, the, the awesome thing about the story is when we, we have times when our faith does fail, that you don't throw us off, Lord. That you stay by our, side, our sides. When Abraham and Sarah, they failed you, Lord, you said, I've got a covenant with you and I'm going to fulfill my promise. With the disciples, when they had a lack of faith, Lord, that you didn't say, that's it, I'm going to get some new disciples, Lord, but rather you said, you know what, I'm going to stick with you guys and your faith is going to grow into a great tree of faith. And Lord, I just pray that you'll help give us the faith to face whatever challenges that are lie before us. Help us when, when you call us to things that sound like a joke, Lord, help us to be like Abraham, to humbly submit ourselves to you and say, yes, Lord, we believe this. And Lord, when we think of all the promises of Easter, the promises of forgiveness, the promises of salvation, of a new earth, of hope, Lord, of, of, of um, freedom from the world that is falling apart, Lord, we just pray that you will give us the faith to simply, in, in childlike faith, believe those promises. Lord, may we be a church that is a faithful church, Lord. And Lord, we realize that the success of our church and the great things that will happen through our church are not because of who we are and what we will do, Lord, but because of who you are and by the fact that there is nothing that is too hard for you. And so, Father, I simply pray that you increase our faith. May you be with us this week and help us to learn more and more of your incredible love. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.